Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. And welcome to Minisode 99 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes. I know. 99. 99. We're so close. We are, of course, the podcast, giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Rich Bain. I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart. Huzzah! Andy, we are hurtling towards triple figures at a rate that can only be described as breakneck. How are you feeling? How's your week been? Tell me about what's going on in the life of the Stuarts this week. Oh, Christ. Uh, I have cyber whiplash as a result of how fast we're hurtling. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, in terms of what else has been going on, very little. I've uh, I've done some gardening. Lovely. I did. I did. I believe I saw some of the results of that this week. Looking very good. <laughs> uh, what else have I done? I've pottered around. Mm-hmm. Much the same as I think everyone. Kind of just moving absently from room to room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like I feel like kind of just like a little bit spectral sometimes. Yeah, yeah. At this point. Absolutely. I, there's been a few occasions as well where I've just stood with the fridge door open. Mm-hmm. I've seen myself do that. I think that this is the week that I've started cracking up just slightly. <laughs> I think that week four was the one. Is that just when you're sitting slack mouth just drooling freely into your lap? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I think, I think it was something in the region of day 25 <laughs> was when the cracks finally started to show. So yeah, I've uh, taken the days in between to recover my composure and I'm feeling a little bit more sure-footed now. Because, yeah, of course, we are still in lockdown. We are, uh, for another three weeks minimum as well in the UK. Yeah, yeah. No immediate, obvious, line-in-the-sand end in sight as yet, which is for the best, seeing as people are still going outside in massive groups like dicks. Yeah, and people are dying. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, on to happier topics, hopefully. What have you been watching this week? I can't say that either of the things I've really brought to the table today are happier topics. Okay. Do you want an, an okay review? or do you want a bad review first? Right, let's have the okay review first. Okay, well, I jumped onto Netflix and I watched The Platform. Oh, okay. Um, quite a lot of people have been talking about this one since it came on there uh, two, three weeks ago. Generally, I think people seem to be kind of like middling to decent on this one. What about you? Similarly, middling to decent. Yeah, I thought it, I thought it was okay. It was uh, It's basically the story of this vertical prison, I suppose. It's the only real way to kind of explain it. And every day for two minutes, a platform moves down through the building, starting at floor zero. And the platform has food on it. Okay. Um, and obviously, as the platform moves down, it's picked at by the people on each floor. Right. All the way down to obviously the people at the bottom, who by the time it reaches them, there's 333 floors. So by the time this reaches them at the bottom, there's generally nothing left. Right. Um, and it kind of follows this guy who's who's in here for a, a year. And over the course of the film, he kind of moves floors occasionally. They shift them around depending on various factors. So one day he could be on like floor six and the next day could be down at like 150 170 but uh yeah it's a it's a pretty bleak film i'm not going to sit here and say that it's a fun watch because it's certainly not 
it's pretty mm-hmm. gross at points as well I've got to say I mean aside from the people digging into food thing with their fingers and jamming it into their mouths which you get a fair amount of uh-huh. there's some pretty violent stuff in here as well because on the lower floors people tend to move quite quickly and quite willingly towards cannibalism right sure I mean yeah okay that makes sense but yeah it's uh, it's an interesting film I've not really uh-huh. seen much else like that That can, or certainly not that it springs immediately to mind no it sounds like a kind of fairly on the nose classism metaphor yeah yeah it kind of it kind of is that as well yeah and there's like this whole thing towards the end where they, they have this kind of peaceful protest idea where what they're going to do is they're going to ride all the way down to the bottom with the food handing out rations to the people all the way down at the bottom mm-hmm. and then ride all the way back up with this panna cotta okay uh, I've never heard the word panna cotta used so frequently in a film about class insurrection yeah yeah it, it doesn't go to plan it doesn't go quite as they hoped it would but yeah there's some really weird stuff in here some interesting stuff it's an interesting film I'd, I'd be curious to know what you make of it actually it's very much on my list I'll maybe try and get to it this week so I can uh, kind of come back and weigh in with mine as well so that was the kind of middle review so what was the bad one i watched the turning the turning 2019 yeah now i don't know much about this all i know about this was i saw a tweet from our old pal and frequent contributor mitch harrett right saying that no ending to a film had infuriated him this much since the devil inside ended on directing you to a website link okay um what i will say and it was something i was going to touch on is that the ending is god awful I don't okay. think it's as unforgivably bad as The Devil Inside's ending. Right. But okay. it's okay. pretty bad and it smacks heavily of studio involvement and changing the ending last minute. Right, okay. So what, what are we dealing with here? Because I don't know much about this at all, to be honest. So it's essentially another adaptation of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Uh, right, okay. It's been done better in the past. What we have really is the story of a young woman who comes to work as a governess or like a tutor at the house of these kids who have lost their parents. Little girl's not really allowed to leave the house. She doesn't like to. She gets freaked out. Little boy's a bit of a tearaway who gets expelled from boarding school. He's played by Finn Wolfhard. Now, I normally quite like Finn Wolfhard and things, but I thought he was terrible in the bad boy role. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think he's cut out for the bad boy. For as much as I like Finn Wolfhard, I do think that he plays Mike from Stranger Things and everything. Well, if you can imagine Mike and Stranger Things cross with Dennis the Menace. I can't, but thank you. And that's kind of what you've got here in so right. much as it's Mike's face, but the attitude of of a vaguely rapey Dennis the Menace. Right, okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ, okay. Where does this go from here, and what was your problem with it? This film is exactly the kind of thing, Mitch, that would drive you up the wall. Again, I'd like you to watch it, just so you could feed back to me on it. But it's just it's just trope after trope, and cliche after cliche. Like, there's spectral hands, there's every reflective surface in the whole film has a sinister face appearing in it at some point. <laughs> It's fucking, honest <laughs> to God, man. Doors are slamming. There's spooky dolls. There was nothing new in this for me. There was nothing that even really made me want to keep watching. I, I mean, I stayed the course. To, and I'm, I'm flabbergasted I did that because the ending is so bad. Um, if I'd have known what Mitch had uh, tweeted previously, I don't think I would have stayed the course. To me, it's everything that's wrong with studio horror. From what you're describing there, it does sound like a grab bag of things that have been progressively annoying me more and more over the last few years about studio horror so i don't understand and we've talked about this impulse before i don't know why this now makes me feel like i should watch it mm-hmm. in the face of overwhelming evidence to the contrary so we'll see you, you may get your wish oh, i might be able to feedback what, to that one at some point don't even bother like seriously there's nothing there's nothing to be gained from watching the turn and i mean it looks okay it's a pretty well-made film 
anything ghostly looks terrible. Digital stuff and it's an absolute mess. And to be honest, it's just the lowest grade of studio horror that you can imagine. Right, okay, okay. It's ter- it's terrible. It, it, it felt like an absolute slog with no payoff at the end. I mean, it's the classic case of avoid horror films that are released in January. <laughs> it's a horror film made for people who don't like horror films. There's too many of them as well, yeah. if you ask me. So, it uh, sounds like a little bit of a challenging week viewing-wise for you then. Yeah. Uh, a couple of other things I have watched. I've went back and revisited a few things, but uh, nothing to write home about, sadly. Okay. I've had a kind of, I guess, a kind of middling week too. I revisited yesterday, actually, and for date stamp purposes, we are doing this on a Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I revisited yesterday, and it's not a horror film, but I think that it's dark enough to qualify to talk about here. Um, came out in 2017, and I hadn't seen it since then. I did a remote watch with my girlfriend last night of uh, Ingrid Goes West. All right, okay. Matt Spicer's Ingrid Goes West, uh, starring. Aubrey Plaza as a woman who is released from a uh, mental care facility and becomes obsessed with an Instagram influencer played by uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Right. So she basically uses the money that she was left from when her mum dies to kind of go to California and use this kind of like not unlimited but kind of fairly large pot of money to facilitate uh, basically meeting her and kind of infiltrating a friend group. And it just kind of takes a darker turn from there as kind of like her facade of normality crumbles. Okay. And this kind of spins out and out. It's really, really dark. It gets quite heavy in places. It's also very funny. And the stuff that it has to say about social media and the kind of fakeness of the way that some people kind of present themselves on the air and stuff like that is really, really interesting. And I don't think that I've seen a commentary on that kind of thing done as well before or since in a film. Right. It doesn't work all the way. I think that when it has to kind of fashion itself into an ending, it starts to stumble a little bit. But it's really, really good, I think. Uh, it held up really nicely on a second watch for me. And yeah, I would say it's it's all like I say, it's on Netflix. It's a relatively new edition to Netflix, I think. Really worth going and taking a look at. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else? Uh, yeah, there is, actually. And um, it's something I've been talking about for a couple of weeks. Last night, I double-billed the first two episodes of uh, Cursed Films. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, on Shudder. Yeah, the Shudder documentary thing. So um, I spoke about this a couple of times, and regular listeners to the show, you all know that this is kind of playing into my hands yeah and, on paper. and to mine as well it sounds I, I thought it sounded pretty interesting yeah it's a five-part documentary series about cursed films or cursed or troubled productions basically uh, they pick five horror films from through the years that have had this kind of mythology if you like attached to them uh the exorcist the omen the crow the twilight zone film and poltergeist i believe are the five right. mm-hmm. um so I watched the first two episodes, which were uh, respectively on The Exorcist and The Omen. Okay. They're about 25 to 30 minutes each, these. Sure. And I actually found them both to be um, very frustrating watches. Right, okay, why? Um, they both start very promisingly. They talk about a little bit about the cultural impact of the films in question, but then they start getting into like the things that happened either on set or kind of around the making and production of the films. Mm-hmm. But both The Exorcist and The Omen episodes... In terms of actually addressing that stuff, run out of momentum really quickly and it gets incredibly scatterbrained after that. Right. And the Exorcist one, I mean, it got into some of the kind of making of stuff that I wouldn't have said is necessarily relevant, but was interesting. Like they were talking about some of the kind of more unhinged and more kind of controversial things that William Friedkin did to get the right reactions out of people. Sure, yeah. And stuff like that. But by the second half of it, it had almost completely stopped talking about The Exorcist and it had kind of instead turned its attention towards exorcisms in films through the ages and stuff like that, which, I mean, there's room in the world to tell that story and explore that, but not here, I don't think. And um, in The Omen one, it kind of did the same thing because The Omen, I didn't know much about the cursed production element of that, but I didn't realise there was so much stuff and I thought that that was really fascinating. 
for about the first six or seven minutes and then after that it did the same thing it veered very heavily off topic and by the end they had um a black magician as in a magician that practices black magic he was white (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay sitting in a field chanting incantations to see if he could curse a film that is currently in production okay do we know what film it was (laughs) Uh, I th- it was it was Tom Hooper's Cats. <laughs> uh, no, I don't believe that they tell you. Yeah, it's frustrating. It feels like a missed opportunity. It maybe feels like something that's going to end up being two and a half hours of material that you maybe could have distilled down into one hour long documentary. I'm going to stick with this because apparently I've read a couple of things from a couple of people saying that like when this gets it right, it's very incisive and very interesting. Right. Okay. I mean, for me, the the Twilight Zone episode is the most interesting one. I'm looking forward to getting to that. I think it's last. I think it's Poltergeist that I've got next. But I'm really looking forward to watching the rest of them because even if I do, because I do think this is so far anyway, it's been really scatterbrained and really unfocused, but the actual hard facts of it for as much of it as there is are interesting to me. Right. It just feels like a bloated way to tell it or at least placing the emphasis on the wrong things so far. But I'll persevere and I'll see how we do. Do you know, Graham Resnick had the right idea with Deadwax. You can still do a documentary, but release it in eight minute episodes. Absolutely. I would much rather... I would much rather have that. Yeah, and just keep it to the, the actual detail, like like you were saying. Yeah, th- like this this feels very very baggy, and I think that like a little bit of brevity, in fact, a lot of brevity, would have gone a long way. But uh, like I say, I'm not even halfway through the series yet, so um, I'll reserve judgment on kind of writing it off as a whole. <laughs> I'll hopefully come back next week, kind of like in the creep show style, like I did with that. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I'll hopefully have um, a couple more watch and a couple more to talk about then. Okay. However, yeah. Mitch goes back to the nineties. I did indeed, and it worked out pretty great this week. Okay. I have to say. So, John Paul Fitch mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago on a mini-sode uh, in the feedback section, and then there was a few more affirmations ah, about it right, as well. Okay. Yes, okay. I think Caitlin uh, got in touch, and then somebody else, maybe it was one of those two actually, mentioned that it was on Amazon Prime. So, this week, I made room for Star of Echoes. Yes. And did you enjoy that? Yeah, I thought it was great. I really, really loved it. Also, genuinely, like, really scared the shit out of me. And really, really gruesome in places <laughs> as well. But yeah, Kevin Bacon plays this kind of skeptic who is uh, placed under hypnosis by his wife's friend or sister. <laughs> uh, I forget. Basically, after that, yeah, he his skepticism is challenged by the fact that loads of weird shit keeps happening. And it gets kind of like, it's. I mean, it is a little bit of a plagued by increasingly terrifying visions thing. But I kind of give it a pass because the visions are terrifying. Yeah. I, I thought this was great. I um, very very much appreciate the recommendation so big thank you to everybody who got in touch and flagged up that one for me uh because that's a great find and something that probably would have taken me long enough to find on my own so uh yeah very much appreciate it now we have another one of these just now a kind of side quest of sorts ah So, uh, on Friday, we, and by we, I mean uh, me, you, and your lovely wife, Jackie, yes. had our third installment of Smoky Thriller Friday. Yeah, Smoky Thriller Fridays is something that we have installed to combat the lockdown blues, in which me, my wife, and Mitch sit down to watch a Smoky Thriller, given that we know Mitch is a massive fan of Smoky Thrillers, um, and we have had varying success over the past two weeks i would say i would say that that's fair deadly expose was our first which i think we can all agree was garbage <laughs> um 
And uh, last week we had an affair to die for, which was glorious trash. Yeah, surprisingly good. Yeah, I have a lot of good things to say about an affair to die for. This week then, we went for Fnatic. Yeah, not the Fnatic, with the incredibly bizarre performance from John Travolta. Yeah, not the problematic Fnatic, if you like. Correct. No, we went for this one, which is a Netflix thriller about a rap star, <laughs> Doc D. Dom D, Dom. Dom D, <laughs> thanks. Um, who has an affair with a fan at the start, and things take a fairly deadly and misery-esque turn uh, as things proceed. But yeah, we, w- we went all out on this one. Uh, we tried to add a real sense of occasion to Proceedings. It was uh, glad rags on. Yeah, yeah, I wore a full suit. Yeah, we were all pretty uh, dolled up in our respective uh, isolation stations, and with good reason. Fnatic, pretty fun. <laughs> It was terrible. Yeah, it was garbage. I think I preferred Deadly Expose to this. Oh, really? I wouldn't say that much. What I would say is that the third act is completely fucking incoherent. Yeah. It doesn't really have an ending. I've already forgotten how it ended. Everyone dies, except for... Sure. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> However, we did have a very pleasing appearance from Strong Language of Violent Scenes Royalty in this film. We did, yes. Harken all the way back to episode one, Friday the 13th, part five. It did feature a... I've got to be honest, Mitch. A... A far too fleeting appearance from Miguel Nunez Jr. A.K.A. Demon from that film. Yes, yeah. Darling of ours. Yeah, and actually bringing some much-needed gravitas to a film that is poor in almost every other aspect. I agree. I think that for for the genuinely like two minutes of screen time that he has, he's doing the best work in the film, by a distance. <laughs> Completely. Uh, so yeah, that was Smoky Thriller Fridays for this week, Fanatic. Uh, so I would say less of a runaway success than An Affair to Die For. If you are looking for some kind of like thrillery garbage for a Friday night, that is still the comfortable leader of the pack for me oh for sure but yeah we will persevere it looks like netflix is getting an absolute influx of smoky garbage over the next little while so we will be plumbing through tooth and nail through the good the bad and the ugly on smoky thriller fridays until the lockdown's lifted wonderful so moving on what have they been saying feedback time then and they have been saying a lot again and what i do really like about this week's batch of feedback is that you guys are casting your net far and wide you're obviously using the lockdown to catch up on some back episodes which we really appreciate yep. a large chunk of the chat this week obviously devoted to this past week's episode episode 98 where vinegar syndrome's brad henderson joined us to talk boarding house which was a great find and it seems like you guys all really enjoyed it as well well no i wouldn't say that i i would say it's been far more divisive than that mitch uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that people had things to say about it. Put it that way. Yep, and kicking off with Kinell at Colac getting in touch to say, checking now, shit is like pieces meets the girls of the Playboy tool shed. <laughs> okay, I don't know what that is, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I can guess, I think, but yeah. Um, Andrew Marshall, our old pal, semi-pro geek on Twitter, watching Boarding House for this week's Strong Violent PC, and it's glorious. It's like a feature-length episode of Dark Place riffing on a hybrid of the Amityville Horror and Slumber Party Massacre, while life is enriched from this experience. (laughs) Uh, Andrew also just getting in touch to say as well that he's back in the 100% Club. His backlog was ended with uh, Eric Penikov's episode on Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, wow. He did say, however, five minutes in, and I'm silently begging Eric to stop saying DP. I know what he means by it, but it's not what I'm hearing. <laughs> you got anything on Boarding House? Yeah, scalecheaplist.com. Caitlin getting in touch to say, loved the Strong Violent PC episode today. Hasn't watched the film yet, but it was a really insightful chat to listen to, even without context. And uh, just confirming that she absolutely appreciates a dick joke also. Oh, good, good, good. I'm glad. I mean, you would very much be in the wrong place if that wasn't the case. But yeah, to your point, Caitlin, actually, it was a really great chat and uh, a little bit different to our usual, which I appreciated. Brad coming at it with not just like obviously a real passion and a real kind of knowledge of the film, but um, just having a lot to say in general about shot and video horror. I thought that was really interesting, really educational. 
Yeah, yeah. I, again, I've, I've said it before. I really like when a guest comes in and is able to kind of guide a conversation in that way. Staying with Bordenhouse, Rob Nevitt of Celluloid Screams oh. and of our House of Mortal Sin episode getting in touch saying this film is insane. Saw it for the first time at the Fab Press Nightmare USA Film Festival screamed on 35mm. The visual effect of a film shot on video and then transferred to 35mm for release is quite something. It's what I imagine having a seizure is like, but for 98 minutes. <laughs> I can only imagine that to be quite dramatic. Yes, I think that I, I would feel like I'd been physically assaulted by a film, I think, if I had to watch it in that way, especially if that film was Boarding House. And uh, just be glad it was the 98-minute cut. Yeah, because uh, she had the not Nazi on Twitter actually got in touch expressing some relief that we weren't doing the 2-hour and 37-minute cut. <laughs> my, uh, my DVD hasn't arrived yet. Oh, yeah, the one that you bought during the recording. Yeah, the very same. <laughs> uh, Laura Bynan at Bynan LV getting in touch to say, Oh my God, Strong Violent PC is doing Boarding House this Friday. We have now done that. I saw it at the One Day Fest to launch Stephen Thrower's Nightmare USA book, presumably the same event that Rob was at. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Where it brought the house down at midnight. Also own the Rare Slasher video DVD. Really looking forward to this. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, I hope you enjoyed the chat, Laura. Yes, yes, indeed. I think that if you have an interest in these kind of things, then I think that it would be difficult to not find Brad pretty engaging on the subject. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So I've got a few other things, but nothing else on Borden House. Anything you want to touch on before we move on? Uh, Troll 2. Oh, lovely. Okay. Refuses to die. Neil at Horror of Dracula getting in touch to say... I haven't seen Troll 2. After the latest podcast, I feel like this is a mistake. Right that wrong, Neil. Oh, definitely, definitely. Go now. Stop listening. Come back to this once you've watched Troll 2. Caitlin actually got back in touch during this week. She was catching up on the Gremlins 2 episode of Adam Stovall. Okay. And uh, she said, I'm on the Gremlins 2 episode of Strong Violent PC and have had to stop everything to try and find footage of Gizmo running. And then uh, tweeted again a few minutes later just saying, I've never been more pleased with a decision in my life. (laughs) You are welcome. (laughs) Um, I have one more do you have anything else yeah I do I've got a miscellaneous item okay that relates back to something we were just talking about Smoky Thriller Fridays ooh okay Saltire Popcorn getting in touch to say forgot to say this earlier in the week but don't think those Smoky Thriller evenings aren't getting us all primed for the lockdown treat of worrying Drake delivering his dissection of Secret Obsession we need this now more than ever <laughs> um, worrying Drake of course being John McPhail yeah um, we have been talking about this for months it's gonna happen don't worry about it I think that we might just be saving ourselves to do it in person oh I think that might be better reveals yeah watch the space on that one but Kevin we haven't forgotten about it don't you worry I have one more lead uh, Lee Hutchison on Twitter getting in touch I mentioned Thoroughbreds last week because oh. it landed on Netflix yep. and I'd finally gotten around to watching it really liked it and I did say that I would be uh, interested in uh, seeing what Corey Finley did next and Lee had some helpful information on that one said good to hear praise for Thoroughbreds on the show Finley's next film Bad Education is dropping later this month and is an absolute cracker so that's something for me to look out for so thank you very much for that Lee good information good intel as always that's good having having listeners that are able to swoop in and answer your questions like that Mitch yes it is nice that isn't it uh, I am tapped anything else before we move no. Okay, in that case... It's Mitch's Pitches! It is once again time for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It'll be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He'll have photoshopped out the title and the tagline, and we'll leave only the image. It will be up to me to describe the image to the best of my ability, and give it both a title and a synopsis based on the image alone. So, we'll also, of course, post uh, the image on social media, so you can play along at home, which a few of you did this week. And the film last week was 
was Metamorphosis. Correct, sir. Yes. Uh, reappropriated by me as Casanova Amphibian, the reptilian retribution of a lizard Lothario. Of course it was. Yes. What else? And um, yeah, a few people getting in touch this week with some good ones. Uh, Andy McEwen first. When Crazy Doctor Zenith starts using the corpses from the last outbreak of robot zombies five years earlier, my goodness, <laughs> he quickly realizes he needs fresh living hosts to connect to the mechanical parts. A family of Mormons go to his door and quickly regret it, as there is no god in this house. It's 1989's sequel to Robot Zombies, Robot Zombies 2, God's Abomination. <laughs> wow. Bombastic stuff. Uh, CP Buckley on Instagram, when Desmond Dennis attempts to cure himself of a strange disease, he instead manages to release the spirit of his twin brother who died in the womb. As the new consciousness starts to take control and drive Desmond slowly insane, Desmond goes on a killing spree, murdering several people, but the new consciousness wants him to kill his girlfriend Lana Lehner and her son Bobby. Now Desmond must try to stop his other half, and Lana must try to save herself and her son in the ill-advised 1985 multiple personality slasher film, My Brother, My Killer. Oh, I like the sound of that. It does sound a little bit like my film Remnant. It does a wee bit, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter, getting in quick as usual. An unwitting family seeks shelter during a storm in an abandoned asylum. Sensible. Lightning strikes the building, energising the robotic equipment within which has been possessed by the spirit of mad Dr. Humanity, who's keen to return to his butcherous ways in Robotomy. <laughs> oh, I like that title. That's a very strong title. And Tony Constantly to wrap us up on Facebook, when rookie MI5 handler Taylor Tinker is forced to give up her best agent, Sir Ian Ronald Curtin, after some botched Cold War espionage, things take a sinister turn when those pesky Soviet scientists reprogram him into a Russian killing machine and send him to London to destroy British intelligence. Now armed only with her British spunk and celebrity <laughs> child prodigy brain surgeon Brian Surgeon, can Tinker get her agent back from the brink of insanity and save the world from nuclear ambivalence? In 1982's Taylor Tinker Sold Her Spy, The Deadly Hurtin' of Iron Curtain. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Um, I don't know why Taylor Tinker sold her spy is doing it for me so much, but it really is. It's pretty funny. Okay, so uh, best character name, Brown Surgeon. Okay. Best overall pitch, Hannah Ray. Okay, congratulations, guys. You both win nothing. <laughs> Ravi Delivery Driver is uh, once again defying government advice to venture out and deliver more nothing to you. Yep, he will, of course, be wearing too much personal protective equipment, actually, so much that it would probably annoy some of our frontline medical people out there. Yeah, he's, he's a pretty hateful character, to be honest, Rav. He is. He is. Uh, massive hands. Yeah, surly, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I guess it's my turn. Yeah. Are you ready? Uh, as I'll ever be. Here it comes to you now. Oh my god. <laughs> this is busy. Uh, the border to this image is white. The bottom half of the image is, uh, well, it's black, which I'm assuming is where the uh, the title's been removed from. Yes, yes, the title and the crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have um, a kind of rocky landscape here. That's kind of the main backdrop of the image with a kind of yellow to blue skyline. Uh, at the top, there's a white squiggle. I'm guessing that was maybe like a tagline or more text that you've blurred. <laughs> you are correct, sir. That As has been, been smudged. Yeah, as opposed to being part of the picture. Okay, so in the foreground of the image, we have um, what looks like a battle going on between two people. Right. Now, we have someone, I'm going to say it's a man, with his back to us. He seems to be wearing denim dungarees. <laughs> cut off denim dungarees. That are cut off, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, boots that go about three quarters of the way up his shins. His long hair and a headband is holding a bow in his left hand. No arrows, though. In his right hand, he seems to be holding a 
pair of nunchucks that are made from human arms. <laughs> I think. Uh, yeah, he's turning his attentions towards... Um, well, it's actually two uh, foes that are both shooting him with laser eyes, it would appear. Or lasers from their eyes. So one kind of looks like... So I'm going to go with the one that's kind of in the background of the image first. <laughs> Kind of looks like a cross between Pinhead and a disco ball. <laughs> okay. But, and seems to have kind of like a clawed hand almost. So standing looking menacing and uh, like I say, shooting lasers from his eyes, which appear to be red, uh, our kind of presumable hero. And the other character is certainly somebody with kind of a, a, a feminine body wearing gold underwear. No other clothes apart from that, as far as I can tell, but uh, modesty covered by a very long snake. Yep, sure. That that underwear she's wearing looks incredibly dangerous. It seems to it have does, spikes yeah. upon it. Yeah, it's gold and spiky. Um, also gold is uh, the entire head. And uh, yeah, that's about it, really. There's not, yeah, like I said, they're not, they're not wearing any other clothes. But yeah, like fairly toned body, I'd say. And uh, yeah, uh, outstretched right arm with very long fingernails, probably qualifying as claws, I would say. It all kind of looks like it's from three different films, really. It's like because you've got one guy who looks a bit like kind of like Conan the Barbarian, except from an '80s movie. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a pinhead disco guy, and then a naked snake person. But yeah, they are all, um, it looks like it's a two against one situation where a naked snake person and pinhead disco ball are fighting 80s Conan the Barbarian. Okay. So I'm going to need a minute, minimum. You've got it. Thank you. So you know Conan the Barbarian came out in 1982, right? I was going to say, I mean, yeah, 80s Conan the Barbarian is just Conan the Barbarian, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Conan yeah, the Destroyer yeah. came two years later. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. You know what I'm getting at. I do, I do. Also, Conan the Barbarian came out again in 2011 where uh, Jason Momoa played Conan. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, that's true. That did happen, didn't it? Yeah, there a lot go. of heads get chopped off in that film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to lie, right? The fact that this conversation has gone on a little longer than normal is a good thing because I have latched onto a very stupid idea and it took a bit of fleshing out. (laughs) Okay. Okay, here we go. When a wildly unsuccessful sci-fi writer flatly spins a yarn becomes disillusioned after his 37th manuscript is dismissed by every publishing house in the state, he throws all of his writing out of his fifth story window in a fit of rage. The tornado of mediocrity descends on the streets below at exactly the same time as equally disillusioned screenwriter Hack Johnson makes his dejected walk home after another failed pitch meeting. As the pages of derivative sci-fi drudgery fall around him, he furiously grabs as many as he can and cobbles them together completely at random. After compiling the results into a disjointed but sweepingly ambitious sci-fi epic where a seemingly arbitrary grab bag of science fiction cliches do battle in a perpetually shape-shifting universe in the name of totally incoherent stakes, he adapts the results for the screen and inexplicably sells the film to a production house. As the multi-million dollar production gets underway, flatly reads about the project in the trades and, realising his many poorly realised characters and ineptly articulated storylines have been plagiarised, descends upon the set to exact bloody revenge on the cast of thousands he believes have stolen his one shot at notoriety. Cast and crew are brutally slaughtered against a backdrop of multiple elaborate soundstage set pieces in Joel Schumacher's 1993 meta-horror masterpiece flatly spins a yarn of vengeance, hack and slash. (laughs) Wow. Uh, By the way, you've got no idea how close to some of the story beats of the actual film you are. Okay, okay, uh, okay. I, I need to know then. Tell me, tell me, tell me some more. What year did you say? I, uh, I said 1993, which I know was wrong. Well, take ten years off of that. Okay, okay. And the film 
is Conquest, directed by the ever-bizarre Lucio Fulci. Okay, Conquest. So, uh, what is this about? And, more importantly, who's the synopsisizer? The synopsisizer on IMDb this week, Matt Pate. Matt Pate, okay, cool. Not spelled like the mushed-up liver spread. Okay. <laughs> a young man armed with magical bow and arrows embarks on a mystical journey through a mystical land to rid it of all evil and joins forces with an outlaw to take down an evil witch bent on claiming the magic bow for evil. <laughs> so, um, so quite evil, then. Evil and mystical. Well, there we go. Uh, yeah. So... Inevitably, I must ask, is this any good? Some of the things that were jumping out at me as you were telling me your pitch was that, it, I mean, this film very much seems like it was a jumble of pages put together in film. <laughs> um, which a lot of Fulci films kind of feel like to mm. an extent, but very few of them come close to being as bizarre and borderline incomprehensible as Conquest is. I see. Lovely. Good. And to answer the question, is it good? No. <laughs> Right, okay. But it's weird enough to pique your curiosity. Right, sure. Okay, okay. That concludes Mitch's Pitches for this week. That image is everywhere. If you want to join in and uh, pile on with your own weirdness, then, uh, of course, you're very much encouraged to do so. You are, of course, in with a shot of winning your share of nothing. Yes, yeah, yeah. Turning our attentions to the streaming platforms this week. Right, I have temporarily taken Amazon Prime out of rotation here. You know, I don't think that's Be- a bad idea. Because um, I couldn't find anything for this week, but also I can never find anything for it. And I'm just going to try and get better at that rather than just decrying it every week. Because <laughs> I think that the fault lies with me, so I feel like I should stop taking out my incompetence on Amazon. Amazon get away with too much in this world, Mitch. That's true. You know what? You know what, Amazon? You know what? Get a better list of your coming attractions to Amazon Prime and pay your taxes. Pull your fucking socks up. However, there is an absolute mountain of stuff coming to the streaming platforms this week that does sound like it is of wildly variable quality. Starting with Netflix then, and uh, on Wednesday the 22nd, we have The Silence of the Marsh. Okay, okay. Uh, While researching corruption for his new book, a successful crime novelist shades the line between fiction and reality. Also on Wednesday, we have The Plagues of Breslau. After a body is found sewn inside a cowhide, a Rocklaw detective discovers a killer is recreating an 18th century plague of criminal punishments. Okay, not convinced that's how you pronounce that Polish town. I think I got a few things wrong there. And uh, (laughs) Friday the 24th, uh, we have Extraction. A hardened mercenary's mission becomes a soul-searching race to survive when he's sent to Bangladesh to rescue a drug lord's kidnapped son. (laughs) Yep, sure. Uh, Onwards to Sky Cinema then, and uh, we do have there... uh, Now, I've got to tell you, right, so... Well, Sky Cinema will do first, right? So Tuesday 21st, you've got Play or Die. Okay. Uh, which is Lucas and Chloe, two passionate gamers, participate in exclusive escape game Paranoia. The finale takes place in an abandoned psychiatric hospital where four other participants await. They soon realise that only one will leave alive. Mm-hmm. So a cross between nerve and escape room for me there, I would yeah, say. Yep, that's what it sounds like. And uh, Thursday 23rd, former guest Abner Pastel, may remember him from the Collector episode and also from directing the film Road Games, his film Frightfest 2019 Closer, A Good Woman's Hard to Find. That comes to Sky Cinema on Thursday a woman is drawn into a web of violence as she attempts to find out what happened to her murdered husband. Great central performance from Sarah Bulger here. Yep, agreed. Yep, like that film a lot. Moving on then to Sky Witness, which is a channel apparently that I did not know existed. What? Um, We have a series starting on Monday and I'm just going to read you the synopsis and uh, regular listeners will know the things about this that bother me. (laughs) So Monday the 20th, we have the premiere of season one of Lincoln Rhyme, Hunt for the Bone Collector. 
Oh, okay, cool. So uh, I, the, I, I, I've got to say, I do like Jeffrey Deaver's Lincoln Rhyme books, and uh, I was a fan of The Bone Collector. I don't particularly like the film. Uh, I hate Lincoln Rhyme as a character name, but yeah, here we go. Inspired by the best-selling book The Bone Collector, former NYPD detective and forensic genius Lincoln Rhyme was at the top of his game until a serious accident <laughs> at the hands of a notorious serial killer forces him out of the field. When Amelia Sachs, an intuitive young officer who's got her own gift for profiling, finds herself hot on the killer's trail, Rhyme in turn finds a partner for this new game of cat and mouse <laughs> yay <laughs> so that's from Monday if you want to check that out and uh, Shudder I gotta say gotta hand it to Shudder this week really having your back helping you beat those lockdown blues from today Monday the 20th we have got Buried from 2010 but the, the Ryan the, uh, Reynolds one the Ryan Reynolds one Paul is a US truck driver working in Iraq after an attack by a group of Iraqis he wakes to find he's buried alive inside a coffin with only a lighter and a cell phone it's a race against time to escape this claustrophobic death trap haven't seen this since I saw it in cinemas but remembered liking it yeah yeah I, I think we talked about it recently yeah I quite liked it uh, yeah it's good yeah um, uh, also coming Monday something that I liked a little less personal shopper a personal shopper in Paris played by Kristen Stewart refuses to leave the city until she makes contact with her twin brother who previously died there her life becomes more complicated when a mysterious person contacts her via text message and also coming to Shudder on Monday uh, more of a favourite of mine It Follows yeah you have sung the praises of It Follows too many times on this show yeah David Robert Mitchell's It Follows don't need to do that again a young woman is followed by an unknown supernatural force after a sexual encounter Thursday the 23rd then we've got 0.0 megahertz from 2019 members of a supernatural exploration club go into a haunted house that's all I could find about that for a blurb cool and uh, Saturday 25th I'm sure which films are featured but uh, we do have the season premiere of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs Joe Bob Briggs hosts horror movies with a unique blend of redneck humour and scholarly insight right yeah yeah that's your lot for this week you want to pick okay I'm going to pick The Silence of the Marsh are you now The Silence <laughs> of the Marsh coming to Netflix on Wednesday uh, once again while researching corruption for his new book a successful crime novelist shades the line between fiction and reality so there you go loads of stuff <laughs> to be keeping you ticking over on the streaming platforms this week that's the, that's an absolute travesty it follows was robbed <laughs> Turning our attentions then to this week's show, and it is episode 99, and uh, it is time for our monthly Andy vs. Mitch episode. Yeah, we're taking our foot off the gas a little bit here. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's my turn, I'm afraid. <sighs> so I am taking us back to 2014. Okay. And uh, it is one that is pretty readily accessible. It's rentable uh, in the UK, certainly. I think it's actually also on YouTube. It's a cabin in the woods. It's some attractive college students. And it's a whole bunch of Zombievers. Zombievers then? Jordan Rubin's Zombievers. Wow. So yeah, Zombievers, this Friday, how do you feel about that? Get in touch, let us know on all the usual platforms, Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at StrongViolentPC and you can email StrongLanguageViolentScenes at gmail.com. Yep, and we had some issues with the website this week. I believe they're all ironed out now and everything is fine. So pop on at StrongViolentPod.com for all your podcast needs. So it's Zombievers this week for episode 99, but of course, after 99 comes 100. Yeah, and I've got to say, Mitch... What we're working on could be pretty interesting, and as for the guest, this might just be the most important guest yet. I would say that that's fair. We will be letting you know a little bit more about this in due course. Uh, It's different, and it's going to be interesting, and it's going to be a first, for us at least. I'm personally pretty curious as to how this is going to go. Absolutely. In the meantime, though, like I say, we're back this Friday talking Zombievers for our Andy vs. Mitchisode. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chud. Stay inside. Goodbye. Bye. Don't go out. Oh.
You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.